that's a motto of do less harm and do more good. So I think we can all, all be processing constantly, how can I do less harm, be it to myself, to others or to country, uh, and how do I do more good? Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood. Our guest on the podcast today is Dr. Clinton Schiltz, who is a surfer, he's a clinical psychologist, he's a proud Gamilaroi man, and he's also the co-founder of Sober Beverages. These guys make non-alcoholic craft beer out of their premises in southeast Queensland, and they were one of the first to really tap into this massively rising movement around non-alcoholic beverages. And the reasons behind that become quite clear, as you'll learn in this podcast. Clinton had his own battles with alcohol and other substances, but also could see the devastating impact it was having across diverse communities, but particularly in First Nations communities. So as someone who liked the taste of beer, but not the consequences of the alcohol, Clinton started experimenting with craft beer infused with native Australian ingredients, various botanicals. And this is, I suppose, the really special feature of this brand. The supply chain really looks to support those First Nations communities who are out there growing and procuring these ingredients, which are on quite a meteoric rise. In Australia, the colonial attitudes towards native foods have meant that we've disregarded so many of these wonderful food and plant sources, yet once you actually open up your eyes and your taste buds, you soon reveal there is an absolute treasure trove out there. But as we learn with this conversation with Clinton, that hasn't come without its challenges. What protective measures are in place to ensure that First Nations communities can sustainably grow their own enterprises in order to support enterprises such as what Clinton and the team have built with Sober? We absolutely love at the Ocean Impact podcast those stories of startups that are driven by a mission and driven by purpose and are impact-led. And I'm sure you'll agree with me that Dr. Clinton Schiltz, his wife Lozen, and all the team involved in bringing Sober to life, they really do embody that. So I was very proud to be able to have this conversation with Clinton over Instagram Live and I really hope you enjoy the episode. We talk about all sorts of uh, stories of the origins and the future of this wonderful homegrown enterprise, First Nations owned and operated, and a very inspiring story indeed. Thanks for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Good day, mate. Yeah, ma. How are you, brother? I'm really well, thank you, mate, and uh, very appreciative of your time. I know you've had a, a huge couple of weeks. You've got a bit of back pain at the moment, but really fortunate you're able to make it today. Uh, a little back pain will never keep me down, mate. I'm, I'm feel very fortunate to be here and get to have this yarn. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, to start the conversation today, I'd certainly like to acknowledge that I'm tuning in today from Garingai country on the northern beaches, the outskirts of Sydney, and to certainly pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And, and perhaps you'd like to tell the listeners, you know, where you're tuning in from today. Yeah, for sure. So I'd like to acknowledge the Kumamiri people uh, here on beautiful Gold Coast and acknowledge all the 
old peoples from this place, past, present, and our emerging leaders, um, those that have kept this place beautiful since the beginning of the time and are going to be here doing a damn good job of that well and truly after all of us have left. So, oh, so nice to hear, mate. Yeah, where I where I live on the northern beaches, um, it just I constantly reflect back, even sit here podcasting now, we've got the Karingai National Park and the, the pit water and then this peninsula which runs up north of the northern beaches up to Palm Beach where the Hawkesbury flows out and it's just, the, the, the country is, is, is alive and it's got a lot of energy around here and you know, unfortunately I, I haven't um, you know, had a lot to do with traditional custodians of this particular land. There's, there's not a lot of in this active community but it, it certainly needs to be the case. Yeah, for sure. And you get that, uh, you know, and sometimes in communities it can be hard to find out uh, who is in community and how you how you make those networks. But once you, once you do and once you, people get to recognise your face within the community, people are always uh, more than welcoming to, to have others around. So, Good stuff. Look, so for those tuning in today, um, not familiar with sober beverages and, and yourself, um, how about you just sort of give a little bit of a, a, a backstory about yourself, about the, the mission-led, purpose-driven business that you've built um, and perhaps maybe even start even earlier than that with a bit of that story of, of the ocean for you, your relationship with the ocean throughout time and, and obviously into the future. Yeah, no worries. So I've spent most of my life here on beautiful Kumbamera country on the Gold Coast. Uh, my family's got quite a long connection here. Like my Literally my grandma's side of the family have been here since, you know, the 1880s or something like that um, they were some of the first sort of settlers white settlers out um, in the Talabudra Valley which is in the the area where I live here so my family's always been here on the coast um, since then um, and both myself and my brother have been very fortunate that we've you know got to spend most of our our teen and adult lives enjoying all the wonders of the of of the Gold Coast and obviously that means we you know we we have in service we grew up surfing every single day and the ocean's really just been a a healing and, and grounding tool for me for most of my life um and it still is and, and and i think sometimes we forget just how healing just being in the ocean actually can be you know there's been times where i've had some really tough stages in my life and and a lot of people are quite aware of my story and i'll tell some of my story on here but you know there's been times when i've just paddled out in the ocean and i've paddled 10 meters past where everybody's sitting and i'll just sit out there and have a cry um because it makes me feel better and the you know the simplest way for us to heal is to actually have a cry and if that salt water is just going in all that salt water around me then it's a it's a beautiful thing so i don't really sit out there and think about what people are thinking if i'm doing that i'm just thinking out sitting out there thinking what's what's going to help me uh to heal in this moment so that's always been something that I've utilised and I and hope to continue to be able to do and hope that my kids will uh, use throughout their lives because now they're fortunate enough to grow up in this beautiful place. Um, you know, being the Gold Coast, it hasn't always been... Uh, I haven't always been so centred and grounded, I guess. I, you know, I grew up thinking that the Gold Coast party lifestyle was the way that uh, you were supposed to live. So I'd surf... I'd go surfing all morning, go to work all day, come home, go surfing again, and then I'd just go out partying all night. And that was pretty much my schedule for many, many years. And, um, you know, it sort of got to a point where things had got really out of control. And, and so I completely stopped drinking uh, about seven years ago. Seven years ago, come this Christmas. 
And that was really just because I wanted my kids to have an opportunity to learn something different, to learn that, uh, you know, alcohol is not actually normal, that you don't actually need it to socialise, that we shouldn't actually have it at every single social event that we're at. Like, you know, even even most of the surf events I've ever been to, be it here in Australia, or I was fortunate enough to travel overseas and do some comps overseas in my younger days. And they were all sponsored by alcohol brands. So all they became was massive piss-ups rather than what I was actually there to do, and that was to, to surf. And, yeah, as I said, I just didn't want my kids to think that that's what life is about. So I made a decision to stop drinking. But unfortunately for me, I freaking love beer. So <laughs> I didn't want to miss out on uh, being able to enjoy a flavour. Um, that, that I really do enjoy, and that's having a beer at the end of a hot day just because I was choosing not to have alcohol. So that started off the whole sober journey, and um, four years later, we're, we're in the position we are now. So there's been a lot of things that have happened in that very brief time um, that, that many people on here might be aware of and, and others may not be. But, yeah, we've, we've gone from being a little garage, literally out of our garage, um, homebrew set up, through to you know a, a business that's just managed to to raise a million dollars through crowdsource funding equity crowdfunding which we we feel so blessed to have been a part of yeah that's definitely going to be something that our ocean impact organization community are really keen to to learn more about um, equity crowdfunding has just burst onto the scene in recent years and you know what a remarkable experience to be able to open up the opportunity for people that believe in the business, believe in you, the team, uh, the values and the mission, and to become you know, co-owners of that and to, to support you through this uh, very exciting next phase of your journey. But um, let's just sort of maybe go back a little bit and just focus a bit more on, you know, we're, we're surrounded by lots of businesses and startups in our ecosystem who are, yeah. who are driven by that purpose and that mission, you know, predominantly obviously to try and improve the health of the ocean. But tell us a little bit about you know, your specific mission. What, do you, what, what were you looking at to, to be the, the, the reason and that, that purpose behind building Sober? Uh, the whole drive behind Sober has always been to, to raise both awareness and support to, to healing strategies that are outside the box. So that, that, that is things like surfing for healing or, or ocean-based healing and, and you know i'm a psychologist by profession so you know i've worked in the wellness space for a long time in different facets i've taught across multiple medical schools for over a decade now and i really have seen what does and does not work for different groups of people and what does get taught and doesn't get taught and practiced and you know what i've really witnessed is that there's a whole bunch of healing modalities out there that work wonders for people that get absolutely no support because we are so rigid and stuck in our ways in terms of this medical model that we are, I guess, we, we live by in, in, in Australian sort of health practice. And that just didn't sit well for me. So I, I wanted to, through this business, be able to create an avenue for us to be able to raise our own awareness but also raise our own independent money to be able to support and do some of that healing work in a different way ourselves and and that really is what drives us every single day we actually see ourselves more as a, a culture and well-being business than we do a beer business we just happen to beer is my commodity beer is what helps me make 
raise the awareness and make the money that that we need to get out and do some good work back out in in society and in communities. Great. Maybe you could talk a little bit then about the being a, an Aboriginal owned and operated company and maybe give us a bit of a glimpse at some of the uh, you know the, the challenges out there for Aboriginal owned and operated companies. What support networks are out there to to help build companies that do want to make sure they're not only supporting you know their staff, their teams, the community surrounding them, but also you know a big part of your business is actually driving uh, awareness of native bush foods and bush tucker and opening up a huge uh, amount of opportunity in the supply chain to to fulfill the product that you, you create? Being a First Nations business is, I'm not going to lie, it's been difficult. Uh, it's its hard to gain support. There's a lot of programs out there that are labelled as, you know, First Nations business support programs, but when you start going through a lot of them, you realise that there's actually not a lot of support in them. Uh, they, they often support a whole bunch of other organisations that are running their little base level business management or financial uh, literacy type programs, but that actually doesn't do much to help uh, First Nations entity and businesses that are that know how to run a business but just need the support to grow. So it has been difficult. There is still discrimination out there, and you know, literally, you know, we had a. I find it funny these days. I didn't find it funny when it happened, but I find it funny when I reflect back it on on it these days. We we had one of our sales rep go out here on the Gold Coast. Um, you know, probably about nine months ago now, and he and he went into a retailer and he basically, when he was trying to sell the product to to the to the owner, the guy looked at it, looked at the Aboriginal flag, and was like, "Well, this isn't for me." Mm. And that was it. We were just we, we were cut out. Didn't want to know anything more about the product or what we stood for or what we were trying to achieve. Just bang, that was it. Seen a flag and was like, "No, nah, that's not for me." So, you know, as a nation, we can sit here and we can try and pretend that racism and discrimination doesn't exist and that it doesn't have an impact on people and that we all live in this equal playing field. But as a First Nations person, and I'm sure many other people from minority backgrounds would agree, that's not the lived situation for for many of us. So it has been difficult. But I'll tell you right now, doing this equity crowdfunding has, has been an absolute blessing for me because it's actually shown how many really good-willed non-Indigenous people are out there who want to support First Nations business. And it was the easy, it, it's turned out it's been the best way for us to find those people because it was just so hard to try and do it before. So by doing this, I guess it allowed us to target our approach and for those people that shared our vision, shared our values, um, to be able to connect. And, and that's been a beautiful journey. Yeah, I was really pleased to read in some of those interviews since the success of that equity crowdfunding campaign that was a sentiment that was really strong to you not that I get the impression that you know that obviously means a lot to you but you've been busting down the doors for for quite a few years now and and, and you would have kept doing so but it must be a really great feeling to to have opened up those those arms and seen that's such a flood of people coming through was it over 500 New York yeah, 500, 569 new owners of, of Sober we've got. You know, and I was saying to somebody earlier today when they were asking me uh, about what this journey's been like and, and, and what it means to me, and I said, you know, this is 
this is reconciliation in action. You know, I've I've just helped to decolonize 569 people <laughs> in our own little itty bitty way because these people are buying into our values as a First Nation business and as First Nations peoples. Um, and that we were very open. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is how we intend to run the business. And if this is what you agree with, we want you on our journey and we want to share. And so for me, that has been one of the most rewarding things out of this process is to be able to go, you know what, we're actually playing our little part in this this whole process of bringing people together. Yeah, look, and, and congratulations for that. I'm so pleased that it's um, it's it's you know it's giving you that and the whole team um, but it's also just great that it, it just is and it should be the absolute norm so let's let's sort of cheers to that i've got actually one of your Bruce here now so oh, cheers to that as i do too <laughs> <laughs> Look, what are you you're on the left yeah on the finger line cerveza yeah i'm on uh i've got a lemon aspen pills in my hand so uh cheers so yeah, tell us a little bit more then about the beer because obviously you know craft beer has been huge in recent years. But you know you were a non-alcoholic craft beer, and I believe the, the real pioneer in Australia. But you know the distinct difference between you and potential other competitors is the use of these native ingredients and obviously that story and that connection. So how did this sort of come about? Where t- tell us why you went into beer making in the first place and shows the way you you went to make it. Yeah, so as I said, I stopped drinking, but I love beer. So my answer to that uh, problem was to start making beers for myself. So Sober's really become, you know, a business or a company now that is a culmination of everything that both myself and, and my wife Lowe's and have had the opportunity to learn in our lives, both personally and professionally, and to bring it all under sort of one banner and one roof. So I was a chef in my previous lifetime. Um, that was my first sort of career path uh, and and so I've got a good understanding of food profiling and food science. I grew up home brewing with my granddad from when I was about six years old so this was no nothing new to me <laughs> the process and I love our native foods and I want to inspire Australians to get back to actually eating the things that are from here that are good for this country good for this place um, and I think the more that we can do that in whatever little way the better we actually playing our own little parts in, in caring for country, which is obviously an important part of who we are as First Nations people, but as now as shared custodians of this land, um, it's a role and responsibility that hopefully everybody can understand their place in. And so using native foods and normalising native foods in whatever way we can, I think, helps that progression. So we wanted to ensure that if we were going to, if I, when I was making these beers for myself, I started infusing different native foods in them, and then we're like, "Well, this kind of takes this. This tastes pretty good. I'm enjoying it. Hopefully, other people will enjoy it." And we had a small food truck at the time that we were doing all um, native and traditional food inspired foods out of, and um, I was just literally selling sober. It wasn't even called sober back then. It was just we had this non-alcoholic native infused beer that we were selling out of a kegerator in our food truck. As a bit of a, as a bit of a gimmick, really, and because it was non-alcoholic, I didn't have to worry about licensing or anything. And we kept getting people asking for takeaways, and people would rock up with literally dirty, empty water bottles, Coke bottles. Every now and then, somebody might come with an actual growler to get takeaways, and that got the cogs turning of us thinking, well, maybe there was something in this. Maybe there, maybe there was an opportunity to make this its own standalone thing. 
which then allowed us to then broaden our perspectives in terms of, okay, what do we want to do with this if we are going to go down that path? So we really started to focus in, okay, what are the social responsibility factors that we really want to be able to focus in on and and bring attention to? Amazing. So, yeah, run us through a little bit of that four-year journey then now and where you are at now on that, that journey. I could imagine it's been a pretty lively one and, and it's obviously got a pretty rich future ahead. Yeah, so we're just in the processes of finalising contracts for our for the property where the new brewery and precinct will get built, Sober HQ or whatever we end up calling it, uh, our spiritual home, which will bring everything that we are as a company under one under one roof, uh, including all our small and medium batched uh, brewing. So we'll be able to expand our experimentation and use of different uh, natives in what we do, and that's something that we pretty passionate about because that helps us support different communities around the country as well um we've just rounded we've just finished off the the virtual raise that we did and we did that in 10 days we managed to to raise you know the million dollars um which was twice the target that we'd originally set um so we're absolutely stoked about that but that now means we've got to start actually putting all the things that we promised people we were going to do into place so we've got a busy few months coming up now now that we know we've got the money, we've got the resources, we can all these plans that we've actually had for the last sort of 18 months, we can start uh, putting into place and getting some progress to happen. And that's going to be amazing because uh, it's been a long journey. The last 18 months, things have seemed to happen really slow and now they're all going to happen really fast. So we're, we're looking really forward to the, to the next 12 months. Um, we'll continue to grow the business. Um, we've got a lot more distribution avenues open to us uh, here in Australia present but also internationally so we're looking at how we do that but then at the same time how do we ensure that uh, you know given that everything we we make is infused with natives that we can actually get the stock that we need we've got a bit of a problem in Australia where not enough of the native foods industry is actually owned or managed by us as First Nations peoples and so we're pretty that's something we're we're also pretty vocal about is ensuring that if you know if we're going to grow this space of the use of native foods that uh, us as first nations peoples maintain our rightful place in that in that space so i think it's one of the best economic economic opportunities that we have as first nations peoples to not only be a part of the i guess the growing australian economy but to do it in a way that allows us to maintain our cultural connections and our stories and our law to those first foods and they're something that are very specific to us as first nations peoples to many other people they're just products um to us they all have a story we all have connection to those foods those things so i think it's important we educate people on that but then people are willing to allow us our space uh, in that industry so that's uh, something that we'll be very passionate about doing. We're also working on some pretty cool stuff with our good friend um, James Grison from uh, the Good Beer Co., who many people would know from the awesome work he's been doing um, with the Barrier Reef for years now. Um, so we've got some cool collab stuff that we're going to be doing in the next 12 months with James. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be talking about that yet, but stuff that I will anyway. <laughs> um, we're going to actually we're we're actually going to release a non-alcoholic. Uh, version of um, Great Barrier Beer uh, to raise money for obviously the Great Barrier Reef's protection. So that's one of the th cool things that we're going to be doing. We're also doing a really cool project at the moment 
given it's October, every single carton of this lemon aspen that is sold for October this month, we're donating $2.50 to Half Cut Org. So Jimmy from Half Cut Org, every $2.50 saves a square metre of the Daintree Rainforest and it gets gifted back to the traditional owners, Kuku Yalanji people. And we all know that the rainforest is a filter for the ocean. So, you know, when we start looking at everything as connected rather than looking at things as isolated pockets of environment, but rather have a look at how everything is a part of, of a much bigger ecosystem and, and everything interflows into everything else, then we can start to look at, okay, what can I do out here that really has an impact down there? And everybody gets to find their little place and play their part. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be, to be able to do. Oh, it's so great. It must, um, it must blow you away that, you know, through the power of business, you can have this cascading positive impact all the way into these different arenas and areas. And that's not to say it doesn't come with a lot of hard work, I'm sure, to do that. You know, your, your focus with the team and with Lozen is obviously on keeping everyone employed and keeping the doors open and growing and growing, but then also having this impact. So how do you find that? I mean, is it is it because your you know natural inclination and your reason is so embedded in impact that that sustains you through the tough times on the other front? Like, how do you how do you balance the two uh, and, and make sure you're L- happy Lowe's in the would, day? Lowe's would say it's just a positive way of managing my uh, ADHD. Um, my brain goes a million miles an hour. I tend to not slow down very much and just constantly working on on new things. But in, at Lozen's the engine room behind this business, to be honest. Um, all, the, all the hard, nitty-gritty, businessy type work that needs to get done, um, she's got far more patience for that uh, than I do. And, and I feel very fortunate that Lowe's has given up a whole bunch of things that are important to her and that she's wanted to achieve over the last couple of years to, to really drive this dream of mine forward. Um, which has freed me up to to continue working on, I guess the the social responsibility side and the philanthropic side, and and you know the healing initiatives that we want to be able to start pumping out now that we're getting to that level where we can be sustainable in that area. Back to the point around those challenges in making sure that those businesses that are working with you know native bush foods and bush tucker are First Nations owned. Is there? Countries around the world that are seen as kind of the gold star who've done a really good job of making sure there's those measures in place to support those industries and to to maintain ownership or is it, you know, is there a bit chaotic the world over, everyone trying to find the perfect way of doing it or is there, you know, tell me yeah, about I that. I don't think anywhere's got it perfect yet or is even doing it great yet. Uh, I think we've got some good models starting here. So Victoria is actually probably leading the way in Australia. Um, Victoria government's been doing some great work with uh, traditional custodians on countries down there, uh, looking at how that we can, how they can ensure that um, First Nations peoples from what is now Victoria, um, the lands in what's now Victoria, uh, have opportunities within this space. And I think there's a lot that other state governments can learn from some of the modelling that's happening down there. Um, but, to, yeah, Aotearoa is doing some great stuff and, and, you know, they're in a different situation to us where they've, they've had an opportunity for a long time to have treaty and to have voice in parliament and other things that have allowed them to have further opportunities in different facets and one of those is within, you know, the, the, the native sort of food space for them. 
So there is models around the world that we can be looking at and that we can be learning from. Um, I'm just not completely sure that uh, Australia as a nation or the business side of Australia is is quite there yet. Mm, which sort of back to your earlier point about just the, the significance of opening up your business and helping to deconstruct that colony, colonial attitude, you know, one co-owner at a time. But I'm also just thinking about, you know, fisheries management. Obviously, we, we do a lot with, with fisheries and aquaculture and that's yeah. uh, an arena that would surely require and it would similarly need a lot of work in trying to to meet those traditional, you know, ways of, of treating sea and treating country um, in this world where it's just whoever pays the the biggest fee gets to go and take as much as they want, be it from the ocean or be it from the land. Yeah, and there's a few examples of some good work being done there around northern Queensland and through the Torres Strait 8, partners, uh, Torres Strait between, you know, partnerships that we're starting to see between Queensland government and different traditional custodian groups um, in those areas. Uh, but, but again, they're still in their infancy and, and, and I still don't think that First Nations peoples are given quite enough voice or quite enough level of power within the, those decision-making processes. Yeah. So your business is growing, obviously the, the team, that must have been something which has, you know, been an interesting journey over that last four years and, and forecasting into the future. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, it, you know what, what the processes are around attracting team members, what it means to have this team, this family, and, and how you project being able to continue growing that sober family in the years to come? We'd hope that we attract people through our values first and foremost, that people see us as a organization that they want to work for or with um, before any of the other elements. You know, we, we're, we're doing some pretty funky stuff in terms of um, the way we want to work with our people, you know, our team, our family within Sober. You know, I'm, I'm a true believer in that we can be a lot more equitable in, in the way business is done, particularly in Australia. And so we're trying to incorporate a whole bunch of initiatives in terms of you know, working with our employees in a more equitable way that a lot of other people from the business world would think were just batshit crazy, to be honest. Um, but again, you know, I, when people tell me I'm crazy or that things aren't going to work or that I can't do them or I shouldn't do them, I tend to go out and, and do them and, and prove them wrong, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's led me to it led me to get a PhD and it's now going to lead me to rearranging the business world in Australia. That's really exciting. And obviously just back to the non-alcoholic beer market, I mean, have you been surprised in the last, you obviously live and breathe this stuff and have done for you know, probably over seven odd years now, but has it surprised you, just particularly when you see the big guys, the big global multinationals jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak, is, uh, is, or is that something that you've been expecting and, and anticipating yeah. for quite some time? doesn't surprise me at all you know to, to those big companies a gap in a market is just a gap in a market and they're quite happy to fill it there's 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 no value set or ethics or morals that goes behind it it's just it's all an economic equation so I've I, we always knew that all the big uh, multinationals would jump on board at some time what is interesting is that you know we were ridiculed by pretty much anybody and everybody in this space four years ago and now there's a whole bunch of people trying to jump into it um, so that's that's pretty entertaining to have been a part of. But at the end of the day, you know, having variety is good for business. Not everybody's going to enjoy our products. That's completely okay. But if people have got more choice, 
choice is an amazing and empowering thing. So I'm still a supporter of that. And speaking of, you know, being um, that pioneer, so one of the outcomes of the virtual investment raise is that to, to build this this brewery and, and a brew cafe that will, it, am I right, will be the first of a non-alcoholic brew brewery in, in the country? As far as we're aware, and as long as we can get it done before anybody else actually does, I know there's a few that are planning similar things, uh, we should hopefully have Australia's first all-purpose non-alcoholic craft brewery. Yeah, fantastic. And I can just picture it now with um, the incredible atmosphere and energy surrounding that. And I've got to taste some of this food that you're, um, that you're putting your hand to as well, mate. You, uh, you're no doubt going to have some yeah, well, incredible food available too. Yeah, we're going to put a we're going to put a native foods cafe in. Um, we thought there's no point us having a brew pub. We're non-alcoholic. We want a family friendly and inviting environment where we're doing. So we thought it'd be pretty cool to have a brew cafe instead. Uh, so yeah, and everything in that cafe will be um, cooked with or infused with, and 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 really showcasing uh, different native foods. What are some of your favourites of the people out there across the world or or in Australia? You know, what are some of the just remarkable flavours that just so deserve to be on the shelf in you know in in restaurants and cafes and homes across this this country what are the ones that really just light you up for me it's some of our proteins you know our proteins here are generally like our game meats are so high in protein so low in fat um so so much better for us than pretty much any of the introduced meats we bring in but just so much fuller flavor and it doesn't matter if it's kangaroo emu crocodile they're just they're just amazing like so i I really enjoy a lot of our proteins that we have here but then things like that a lot of people wouldn't even consider like strawberry gum for instance i love strawberry gum it's almost like like it's a gum leaf literally it's a gum leaf but you cook with it and all of a sudden it's like strawberry bubble gum (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) That's an example of one that it, it, it infuses as opposed to you actually eating the leaf itself or you can eat the leaf? Yeah, uh, you can mill it up and then and include it through your cooking when it's milled up. Obviously, if you've got a whole leaf in there, you don't want to be chewing on a whole leaf. But, yeah, you generally just mill it up, grind it up, and then put it through your food and, and it tastes amazing. Same as, you know, uh, we make an aniseed myrtle stout. No, I love licorice. So the aniseed myrtle just gives this amazing licorice flavour and, um, again, it's something that most people wouldn't even uh, if they and it's all over the place here, you know, across the eastern seaboard. And most people that just walk past it a lot of the time wouldn't even recognise that it's a an edible plant. Mm. So, what other initiatives or movements are there? I mean, I've seen a lot in the sustainability space in recent years around foraging and, and wild weeds, potentially a lot of exotics. But what are the other really great avenues and opportunities out there that you see that really are bringing you know much more exposure and awareness to the abundance of beautiful food that that surrounds um, the different countries in Australia to be honest I really think it's been like some of the tv cooking shows that put an explosion in this people love their reality tv shows in this country don't they so Mm. you know when we've had all these different reality TV shows, but really for the last five years now, I've all tried to um, hero native ingredients. I think that's got people's attention, um, which has been great, but it's also led to, 
you know, some problems in terms of being able to get your hands on certain products now as a small producer, a small First Nations producer, because you've got these multinational conglomerates that just go up and buy off entire harvests or, or forage worths of, of certain products. So um, while it's great that we're increasing the, uh, the awareness and the use, we need to make sure that the actual the growth in the industry is keeping up with, with that. And as I said, making sure that as First Nations peoples, we get to have our rightful place within that. So, yeah, I think that's really been the big boom has been reality TV, to be honest. Yeah, and it's so the case, isn't it, that just with that burst of awareness that can come from some high-profile exposure, then everyone scrambles and the supply chain goes into disarray and there's all these cascading oh, impacts. I literally... Literally in the two in the two in the couple of years we had our food truck, like the first year was probably before all the reality TV shows started using natives. And with some of the comments I used to get from people that had come up and go, Oh my god, that's disgusting. I can't believe that you'd sell that. And uh, like it was pretty there was some outrageous stuff that got said. So the attitudes from that first year to the second year, when all of a sudden there was about three different cooking tv cooking shows all highlighting natives was ridiculous everybody wanted to try it everybody wanted to give it a go um i just don't believe that the old black fella that's telling them that it's uh edible is telling the truth sometimes <laughs> yeah and there's a bigger conversation there to be had about how darned influenced how easily influenced we all are but we we might leave that one today look um yeah clinton <laughs> over to you just i guess for some you know, some closing words before we wrap these things up. It could be, you know, some, some words of advice for other entrepreneurs out there who are trying to make their mark and, and, and create, a you know, an impact-driven business of their own. Just, yeah, just yep. um, round it out with some, some thoughts from yourself. Yeah, so I guess what I'll leave people with is what we really dri- use to drive us, both in my personal life and in our professional life as a company. And that's a motto of do less harm and do more good. So I think we can all, all be processing constantly, how can I do less harm, be it to myself, to others or to country, uh, and how do I do more good? And I think when you apply that both in your personal life, obviously it's going to be beneficial, but when you start thinking about how do I apply that to business when I'm thinking of a business, some remarkable things can come out of that. Um, so it can be as simple as looking at, you know, what am I going to use to make my products? Am I going to, or to store my products or to, you know, to travel my products, whatever it's, you know, it's as soon as we start focusing on how do I do just a little bit, a little bit less harm and what good can I do knowing that I've been in a privileged position to actually have a business, to have an opportunity to create something. And if I've got that, I may as well create something positive. Mm. Love it. Love those words, mate. Well, uh, I've certainly enjoyed uh, the journey so far, even though I'm only a newbie. Uh, I'm now a, a customer, a part owner of Sober, and I feel really proud of that. And I just yeah, look forward to, to where it takes you and the rest of the team. So thank you for mate, all your work, mate. We're stoked to have you on board and thank you for the time. And don't forget, everybody, $2.50 from every one of the cartons of these this month is going to half cut and we're going to save more of the daintry. Yeah, and what incredible news this week about um, that some big chunk of land up there being returned back to First Nations. Yeah, so amazing. Uh, Jimmy does mm-hmm. an, he and his crew do an amazing job. He is a special human, that one. I ended All up right. with no hair because of it, but you get that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, thank you for your time. Enjoy your weekend and keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Jim.